Welcome to the fourth episode of Oscar Sunday. We are traveling back exactly 18 years ago to the 74th Academy Awards, where, um, you know, a lot of good films came out in 2001 and were recognized at this, uh, this ceremony. But the one we're going to be talking about didn't actually win any awards. Yeah. Prior to this episode, we talked about Pulp Fiction, which is up for seven. We talked about Defy Bloods, which we both believe will be up for a few at this upcoming Oscars, no matter how, whatever it looks like. <laughs> and then we talked about Rocky, which is one of the monsters of the Oscars, which won Best Picture in 1977. And uh, this one is In the Bedroom from 2001, directed by Todd Field, written by Todd Field. Um, brilliant movie, nominated for five. Like I said, didn't win any. Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagiri. In the bedroom. Ah, first off, the title is not. <laughs> what the film uh, when you when you hear in the bedroom that is not what the film is about at all um for, for for me anyway i think you felt the same way that's something we talked about your yeah. anticipation of the film because neither of us had seen this this movie neither of us had really heard much about it yeah uh, it, it was something i slipped up on when i was just looking at the best picture nominees and i was like huh that's a kind of powerhouse group there but um that's also a powerhouse year you have you have amazing stuff coming out I, I don't know much about In the Bedroom, and it got five nominations but didn't win anything. So that's something that we kind of wanted to check, right? Yeah. <laughs> On this show, we've, we've dedicated an episode to Pulp Fiction, like I said earlier. One of the movies we both adore, Rocky as well, and Five Bloods we both adored, but it's a different kind of episode. This one is more of an experiment because it's something that we're trying to see. Should it have won stuff? Um, should it have been nominated for more things? Should people talk about this movie today? I think so. It had a budget of about $2 million and made it around 45. I don't know what happened in the 18 years. I'm not sure. Uh, 19 years, rather. Uh, did you know anything about this movie before you saw it? I knew that it starred Tom Wilkinson and Sissy Spacek. I yeah. didn't know what yeah. it was about. So that was, that was it. I, knew, I didn't, didn't know anything about the story. And I was very surprised at kind of the evolution of this film as it progresses it's a lot of different genres it's a lot of different um it's got a different like theme as it goes along like it turns into a different movie it's very smart and i really don't understand why this hasn't been talked about more it's just i don't know people kind of just left it in 2001 that happens yeah. sometimes. There's a lot of nominees that never escape the year they were nominated, that, like movies that were big at the time, but never progressed. And In the Bedroom is one of those movies. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad to say, and I think you agree with me uh, from reading your review that you wrote uh, for it last night, we, we both enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, this is a devastating, devastating, like, thriller, like, high high-intensity thriller with incredible cinematography, incredible performances, kind of hits on all cylinders, and you're like, damn, this is just a flat-out good movie. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what I look for in an entertaining film and in an Oscar nominee. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know, the, the five are important, right, that it got nominated for. 
yes. including including Best Picture. And that group is filled with some 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 awesome movies. And we'll talk about those as we go down. But uh, if you have listened to the show before, what what we do is we try to nail nail the five or however many it is, however many nominations, nail those down and really talk about them in the other nominations. Um, figure out sh- should it have won that sort of thing. Just kind of talk about it. It's a way to for for you you guys as listeners to get involved if you've seen some of these films. Because uh, hey, there's a Lord of the Rings film here, so I think some people are are going to be i think some people are going to be biased huh what do you think <laughs> yeah i'd say so <laughs> oh man so uh, which one do you want to start with here um well i like to start from the bottom up and kind of just work our way towards best picture so let's start with uh, best adapted screenplay yes sir so this was an interesting bunch uh first off we got shrek <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> that Shrek would be nominated for Best, best Adapted Screenplay from the book Hell by yeah. William Teague. Then we've got The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, based on the novel by J.R.R. Tolkien. And we have In the Bedroom, based on the short story Killings by Andre Dubas. Ghost World, based on the comic book by Daniel Close. And the winner, A Beautiful Mind, based on the book by Sylvia Nasser. So I've seen all but Ghost World, and I know you've seen Ghost World randomly i i watched that on criterion real randomly it was on like the leaving this month um section so i was like yeah i'll, I'll check it out and i really liked it it actually has maybe my favorite steve buscemi performance of all time maybe well one, one of my favorite ones i know i'm a big tarantino fan but uh <laughs> yeah he's he's really good in it but this one i think was correct I don't know what you think, because Lord of the Rings is really hard with the amount of content that's left out, or it's really tough. I think Beautiful Mind is a really, really well-constructed film, and that's due to the writing. Yeah, A Beautiful Mind is a film that really has to keep you on your toes because it deals with hallucinations, and yeah. you, you have to kind of figure out when John Nash is you know, not seeing things, when he's in his right mind. And yeah. I agree that that does come out of the writing but i akiva goldsman really i I don't understand he loses points big time for me because if he wrote batman and robin (laughs) but that i'm totally with you but yeah i'll give it to you a beautiful mind for screenplay but how about how about shrek just coming in hot i could give it to shrek that is a brilliantly written film it is it it is i you know we can we can say you know it's probably the best DreamWorks movie, animated movie of all time. Yeah. And, and when it came out, I mean, you know, you and, you and I were six years old and it just, God, I can't remember. I, I was laughing so much when I saw this in the theater. I, the damn near falling out of the seat, you know, at six <laughs> years old, just at Mike Myers, you know, he's just a genius. And that love that even as adults, we find new things to laugh at with Shrek. It's a film that's written for everybody. There's yes. so many brilliant innuendos in that film that just make you laugh out loud as an adult. And the story is, you know, heartwarming. It's hilarious. I, yeah, I could see that taking it, honestly. <laughs> the more I yeah. think about it, I, I don't know. <laughs> and then Fellowship, of course, is a monumental story. And adapting that is, to film was no easy feat. So, I don't know. That's a tough category to pick. There's some, there some hammers in there. Yeah, I, I, I like all five of those. I, I would have no problem with any of them winning. 
in our subject here today. Yeah. In the bedroom. In the bedroom is based on a short story called Killings. Um, at the end of the film, um, it has the you know dedicated to Andre Dubo. That's I, I really I really like that touch that they really really honored him with a big you know there's his name right at the end of the film. Um, really cool. And this is a <laughs> there's some dialogue that's very very powerful in uh in the bedroom it's it's one of those kind of todd field just kind of made one of those like it can be looked i could see some people calling it a masterpiece you know what i mean it's just kind of hits on all cylinders if he only made one film this would like this would be a great film for like just a single film career yeah yeah fantastic so then we have best supporting actress which another great loaded a bunch here. Uh, truly, this is <laughs> insane. Kate Winslet for Iris, Marissa Tomei for In the Bedroom, Maggie Smith for Gosford Park, Helen Mirren for Gosford Park, and the winner, Jennifer Connolly for A Beautiful Mind. So, do you think Jennifer Connolly deserved this Oscar uh, among that group? I think she's great, but dare I say that Maggie Smith in Gosford Park might be might might be the winner here. I I think you also in the back of your mind you're thinking, holy shit, Harry Potter had just started in two thousand one. Yeah, good <laughs> lord, what a year! You know, it's funny because I would go Helen Mirren for Gosford Park. Okay, fair enough. That's totally yeah. fair. That's my one two for sure. Yeah, I'm glad I watched that film before doing this episode. Uh, that was Me too. A, another, like, it could be its own episode. It was a phenomenal hidden gem for 2001. And an unbelievable cast of British thespians. And Helen Mirren and Maggie Smith are the only two who got nominated from that film, but it could have gone to so many other people. You know, yeah. Emily, Emily Watson, Kristen Scott Thomas, Mary, Mary uh, Kelly McDonald, anybody. But Helen Mirren in that film... Uh, I don't want to spoil Gosford Park here because I know that if you haven't seen it, you're probably not expecting spoilers on a podcast about In the Bedroom. So I won't yeah. spoil anything about Gosford Park, but her performance towards the end of the film when a certain revelation is made is pretty unreal. So yes, I would go Helen Mirren for Gosford Park. That's totally but, fair. And, it, yeah. and, and yeah, the, the beginning of the show, we, 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 it's spoiler free. It's when we get, we, we get into In the Bedroom where, uh, yeah, you should probably go back and watch it before you hear us because we're gonna talk about the plot yes indeed do you think marissa tomei deserved the nomination for for this film <sighs> to me uh yeah okay if you're just looking flat out at this vibe off the surface you're like yeah she she can be in that group but then when you really look at you know everything that's going on in 2001 outside of just who got nominated and you're like holy hell you know there's there's some people. There's some people you could have put in instead. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I think she gives a great performance. I think that she. I I would have liked to have seen her more in the film. I think I, yeah. after what happens happens, she kind of just disappears, and I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that. We'll get into. That. <laughs> I don't really. I don't know if that really affects her performance, but. It certainly affects that her uh, her kind of uh, presence in the film and her effect on the plot. Yeah, well, tone, tonally, 
these movies are there's like two movies here right like we'll, we'll, we'll get into in the bedroom but yeah I, we're definitely going to talk about tomei and how the kind of ride her character takes yeah right on so next up we have best actress uh we have renee zellweger for bridget jones diary sissy spacek for in the bedroom nicole kidman for moulin rouge judy dench for iris and the winner Halle Berry for Monsters Ball. Uh, I've only seen In the Bedroom and Moulin Rouge, so I cannot speak for Renee Zellweger, Judy Dench, or Halle Berry. I would think of, like, from what I've seen, I give it to Sissy Spacek. Um, I haven't seen Iris. Uh, Renee Zellweger being up for Bridget Jones' Diary to me is <laughs> Tom Fullery. <laughs> uh, that's one of the things the Oscars have done where it's like, dude, you come on, man! Like, I assume you want that slot filled by Naomi Watts for Mulholland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Jesus H. Um, Halle Berry, though. I'm I, I, Halle Berry and Sissy Spacek of this group. It's it's them too. Um, God, Halle Berry is good, good as hell in Monsters Ball, and she has Sissy Spacek has a few moments of this this subtlety that she just you're just like holy shit that's Sissy Spacek. Yeah. But Halle Berry in Monsters Ball is like, she's arriving, right? Uh, Halle Berry is, is truly arriving. And she has, to me, there's one specific moment that's like, you know, some of the best acting I've ever seen. That movie as a whole, I don't love, but every performance is fucking awesome in Monsters Ball. Okay, good to know. Heath Ledger, too, just, uh, yeah. yeah. Oof, yikes. You know, it's a really a damn shame that Halle Berry took uh, did that Catwoman movie because her career I know. could have gone to so many great places. I know. I, I really I really agree with you. I think she's wicked talented and just just chose the wrong path. Ah, it's it's. I hate to say that because you know they're just acting, right? You don't want to like, oh, I took this for granted. Like they're just acting. It's not a huge deal. But when we're talking about movies, we're talking about movies, and I think Halle Berry should have taken a different path. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I think she thinks she should have taken a different path. Oh, man. No one's looking back on Catwoman with fond memories. That was but, great. Uh, yeah, I wish I could talk more about that category. Uh, Nicole Kidman and Moulin Rouge I think is great. Well, you, you, you know all of them, though, pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I do. These, the, those, are some, those are some monsters. Yeah, they're all Oscar winners. <laughs> all right. Yeah, whoa. Yeah, I didn't even like Same with Best Supporting that. Actors. They're all Oscar winners, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look at that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm glad you oh. caught that. Yeah. That always blows my mind when it's all, you know, already winners. Well, a lot of them weren't winners yet, but as speaking now, they are winners. Yes, yeah. This is, yeah, this is 2001, 19 years ago. Yeah. Then we've got, let's go to Best Actor. This is a, another loaded category. We got Tom Wilkinson for In the Bedroom, Will Smith for Ali, Sean Penn for I Am Sam, Russell Crowe for A Beautiful Mind, and the winner, Denzel Washington for Training Day. And I think you agree with me when I say nobody takes that Oscar away from Denzel Washington. <laughs> King Kong ain't got shit on Denzel. Damn straight. Fucking Alonzo Fuck. for life. Fuck out of here. Yeah, no, n none of these. Not even close, man. I've seen, I've seen all of these. Not even, not even close. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he, he, like, 
stole this one. Like this one's mine. I'm taking this. Yeah, absolutely. In the first in the first scene, you got it. You got a dick. <laughs> right there, right when he said that, and told, you know, told Hoyt to pay the bill. Bam, Oscar. Let's go. <laughs> you want to hear us talk more about Training Day? You can check out our um, our other podcast, Film Gasm, where we did a full episode on Training Day. One of our favorites. And uh, yeah, I think so. I have not seen Ali or I Am Sam. Uh, I think Russell Crowe is fantastic in A Beautiful Mind. Tom Wilkinson lights out and in the bedroom, very subtle, subdued performance of just a man just spiritually broken. And uh, I have, but Denzel's on a completely different level. I got it, I give it to him every day. Yeah, yeah, all day, every day. Easy. <laughs> uh, and then finally, that takes us to Best Picture. Moulin Rouge, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, In the Bedroom, Gosford Park, and The Winner, A Beautiful Mind. So, of those five, do you think A Beautiful Mind takes that Oscar? You shall not pass! (laughs) Yep, I thought so. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like I said, I've got some other movies from 2001 Mulholland Drive being being the main one. Royal Tenenbaums that I'm really, really close with. I, I feel like I've connected with them. But Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring is hands down of this group the best movie. Uh, yeah. I think as time I think as time has gone on, that's just it's even it's even more so the truth today than it was 18, 19 years ago. Um, these other four movies are really good though. This is a good group. Yeah. There is no, there is no weak link, right? Um, so I, I would have been okay with anything winning, but to me, I think they missed out on um, giving Lord of the Rings the win here. I think they missed out on giving it to all three of them. To be honest with you, <laughs> that would have been unbelievable. A clean well, sweep. it's it's it should have beat Chicago, like straight up. Two Towers should have beat Chicago, straight up. Yeah, we'll get to that eventually. And then yeah, yeah. Return of the King Somebody. swept it, so they yeah that that was correct. Fellowship, though, it's hard to pick a favorite of those three. Fellowship is the beginning of the journey, you know. So, I, yeah, best picture, Fellowship of the Ring. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I think we're both, we're both obviously a little bit biased. We're big fans of it. But I, I, when, I, when I really, truly look at it, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't think it's that close. Well, and the reason we're such big fans of The Lord of the Rings is because they're, so, they're such beautifully constructed films because they're so timeless and just gorgeous and you can feel the effort that went into these films. It is just an incredible cinematic experience. Yeah. It'll never be topped, never be rivaled. They tried with the Hobbit. It didn't work. So yeah. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. So let's talk a bit about the rest of these films. Yes. It's a, it's, it's a man, heavy year. Yeah. So to prep for this, uh, I watched Moulin Rouge and Gosford Park for the first time. I had already seen A Beautiful Mind. Uh, great movie. So oh, yeah. Moulin Rouge is, it's cute. It's catchy. It's not best picture. No. Yeah. Not uh, at all. No. It's a, it's a good movie, but I feel like it's, it's really a love it or hate it kind of situation. Like there's a, if that's your kind of thing, you love that movie to death if you don't you can watch it once and kind of leave it yes and that's kind of where i'm at with that like i liked it i don't know if i'll watch it again 
well, okay, yeah, that's that's great because I had seen this already, right? Maybe I want to say three, four years ago, I watched this, so I didn't feel like totally, you know, um, called to watch it again, right? <laughs> And, and that sounds, I think it's very good. And I do think people should watch it once. Uh, Boz Lerman is very, very big on production design and, and yes. costumes and, and making things look just super alive and everything has a pulse. Um, for any of our listeners that are more our age, that's the guy who's in charge of the great Gatsby. Um, so this guy's very visual, you know, and wants to, wants to blow you away with colors and things and, that there is some serious substance there. Um, there, there are some moments, uh, but, but I agree with you. I, I don't think it really belongs in the like top five of the year. Yeah. Uh, Gosford park on the other hand, I think is a very, uh, very subtle black comedy that is kind of, it was the, uh, it was the inspiration for Downton Abbey. It's by, uh, written by the same, by the guy who created that show, which was originally supposed to be a spinoff of Gosford Park, ended up being something new. And you definitely can feel the Downton Abbey in Gosford Park. And that one is different because it's so just delightfully British. It is so English in the way that it portrays the characters, portrays the class divide. Um... I like a, I like subtle I like subtlety a bit more than the like you know wild in your face of Moulin Rouge. I thought Gosford Park is a great uh, you know uh, counterpart to Moulin Rouge. Yeah, uh, I don't. I think that I think that fits for Best Picture nominee for Gosford Park. I put that in there. Yeah, I do, I do too. I don't have any qualms with it. Uh, where Moulin Rouge, yeah, kind of just raised my eyebrows a little bit. <laughs> and then a beautiful mind is a great film it's a great biopic of a brilliant man but i don't think it deserves to win it's it just doesn't really it's it doesn't hold a candle to the lord of the rings and i think in the bedroom is better too yeah i i think so too yeah yeah i think i think in the bedroom is second of this group yeah so is there any so I think we both agree to take Moulin Rouge out. What would you put in there as a fifth nominee? Royal Tenenbaums. Really? I would have thought you'd go with Mulholland Drive. Well, yeah. I mean, that's obviously my <laughs> – let let's see. My gut tells me Mulholland Drive, but my brain's like, uh <laughs> I, th- I think I think Royal Tenenbaums is more M- Mulholland Drive. Yeah, I mean he was okay. So best director, we we just go right over to this group. It's David Lynch for Mulholland Drive, Peter Jackson for Lord of the Rings, Robert Altman for Go- Gosford Park, Ridley Scott for Black Hawk Down, and winner Ron Howard for A Beautiful Mind. I, I think that's right for Mulholland Drive. I totally understand. My palate is not totally of the Oscars, nor, nor is yours. You, you know, we're both, we're both big horror fans. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I think you enjoy, you know, I think you would enjoy these movies more than Mulholland Drive, um, meaning like, you know, Lord of the Rings and Beautiful Mind, but I do think you'd like aspects of it. I understand that's more of my, like in my wheelhouse. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. Mulholland Drive, along with most of Lynch, is very much an acquired taste. 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I get that it's not up for all this stuff, you know. Like, it, yeah. but Royal, Royal Tenenbaums to me is is a brilliant, brilliant movie and has a Gene Hackman performance that's that's really, really fucking good. And then you you have just this slew of guys that are about to take off in their careers. Uh, yeah, Ro- royalties is it, man, for me. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Um, what about you? I would put, I think, uh, Training Day. I think that would be my fifth pick. I'm totally cool with that as well. I, and, and, and honestly, and there's a, there's a bunch, but we already talked about Shrek. Shrek is amazing. And <laughs> it, it's up with, you know, Monsters, Inc. and Jimmy Neutron. That's just a killer killer uh, group there. <laughs> Fantastic. So are there any nominations that you think in the bedroom should have gotten that it didn't get? Cinematography. Yeah. Yeah. Good pick. Very good pick. Uh, let's go to that real quick and see what else was up. Cinematography. In that group. Oh, we got uh, Donald uh, McAlpine for Moulin Rouge. We got Roger Deakins, the legend for the <laughs> man who wasn't there. The good old Coens. We're going to talk about them in the future. Yes. Uh, Black Hawk Down uh, by Swalomir Idziak. I'm not sure how to say his name. And then Amelia uh, by Bruno Del Bono. And then the winner, Andrew Lesney, Lord of the Rings. I don't have a problem with that, obviously. I think Lord of the Rings, like you said, is this yeah. – it's one of the, like, primetime theater experiences. Yeah. But in the, in the bedroom, I think, deserves a spot in there. It, it's um, – it kind of has that – that feel uh, like that kind of Terrence Malicky, like at times where you're like, Whoa, this is just really pretty. Yeah. Uh, And, and then it starts moving at times. So it has both. It doesn't, it's not just like a tree of life, like, Whoa, look at all this, but it's not just like all all over the place. It, it honestly reminds me a bit of Deacon's Deacon's skill of just kind of capturing these angles where you're like, God damn it. That's obvious, isn't it? But he did it. You know, it's uh, it's really good work. So I haven't seen Black Hawk Down or Amelie. You haven't seen Black Hawk Down? I haven't, I know. That's a, that's a Connor movie, my man. What are you I doing? Know. I know. I yeah. own that. How do you? <laughs> that's been on my list for, for a decade. I haven't seen Black Hawk that's, Down. That's got a really cool cast. You should, you should definitely watch that soon. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then Amelie is a very celebrated French film. I've heard a lot. I've had a lot yeah. of to see that one as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Man Who Wasn't There is pretty it's a beautiful film roger deakins is you know he's the master he's the cinematographer like of the gods the guy is unparalleled and uh moulin rouge definitely deserves a nomination for cinematography as well in the bedroom yeah i think so but again fellowship takes that oscar <laughs> yeah for sure it, it's not really it doesn't really matter because fellowship's taken it <laughs> i um i think todd field should have been up for director Yes. Oh my gosh. He directs the hell out of this movie. Yeah. Holy piss. <laughs> it's, a, it's actually a big shock to me that he was not up. Right. This is a tough, this is a tough group, but <clears throat> I think you got to take Ridley Scott out of there and throw him in. Um, I, I just kind of praised Black Hawk down, not praised it, but I, it is a good movie, but I don't think it's of the caliber of these other ones. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So I think that that about covers it for stuff it was it was, should have been up against. Um, yeah, man. It, yeah. It, are there are there any two thousand one movies that you're like that that aren't even up for Oscars and you're just like ah, 
that shit's awesome. Is there anything that pops up in your head, like a very personal favorite? Ocean's Eleven. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I love a good heist movie, and Ocean's Eleven is right up there. It's such a great ensemble. It's just so suave and fun and charming. And yeah, I love that movie. Um, I like, I, I, this is going to alienate some people. Not a lot of people like this. I really like Hannibal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that should be up for some technical stuff. Uh, yes. I, I disagree with, you know, Julianne Moore's performance as Clarice. She, nobody holds a candle to Jodie Foster. I think you've all, I think people have been saying that for 19 years now. So there's not really much more I can say on that front. But it's just a good horror thriller. And I think a, a decent follow-up to Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I think Donnie Darko should have been included uh. somewhere. God, dude. Yeah, hindsight, right? I mean, I you look at you look at Donnie Darko and what Jake Gyllenhaal is doing in that movie, and you're like, oh man, we missed that. You know, you just you miss stuff because you're just you're you're counting them out. You know, you count out those kind of movies when they're happening. Uh, and now Donnie Darko uh, is a cult classic. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. Um, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So. This was up for a few things. Uh, a few technical awards, I think, score. Yeah. But I think I want to give Alan Rickman, Best Supporting Actor, a nomination for one of these films. Every time that guy is just on fire as Snape. As Caban. Yeah, probably. Or... I don't know, man. It's... I'm I'm just trying to think when I'm trying to think of specific Snape moments where I'm like, God damn, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, all of them, but yeah, the the, the first one has just got some. What's going on around him is just not not nearly as good as later on. True, true. But again, you know, the first two are pretty much they're kids' movies. Yeah, the rest yeah. of them are you know super dark fantasy thrillers. It's an interesting franchise. <laughs> Um, I think that about covers it for me for 2001. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Donnie Darko is one of my, I, I, I wrote a top five 2001 list. Yeah. A few months back uh, for the site, just for fun. I, I like to, I, I'm a obsessive list maker. It's just something to do that's fun for me. Um, and that has changed since I wrote that list because of the movie Itumama Tembien by Alfonso Cuaron. That movie, if, if I really, if I had things my way, that movie would also be up for best picture. Um, filmed in Mexico City, just like, whoa, gorgeous movie, uh, all in Spanish. And I think, I think a movie like that, if it came out today, especially like a guy like Alfonso Cuaron, which we saw a movie like Roma come out, was up for best picture, right? But it was just a little too early. Um, and it's, it's it's a pretty intense film, but it's it's one of my one of my absolute favorites from two thousand one. After after seeing that a couple months back, huh? That came out in two thousand one, but it wasn't uh, up for Oscars till two thousand three. That's really bizarre. Yeah, it was up for best original screenplay in the uh, at the two thousand three awards. That's what that's I always I like when I had you know watched it. I I I you know wrote a review for it and whatnot for Filmgasm, and that was always in my brain. 
And then when I was looking on here, I was like, oh, I must have been wrong. But that's very bizarre that it must have, it must have had a really late uh, U.S. release. Apparently, yeah, I guess it, it's weird that like you don't get you don't get considered unless you come out in America. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. make the rules. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's very bizarre. I, I'm really glad you looked that up because I was very confused when we first started recording, and I was like, okay, I got to remember uh, Alfonso Cuarón's movie, and I was like, oh shit, it's not here. <laughs> Well, I was I was looking at the nominees and I remembered that was up for something and I'm like why is yeah me so too I looked it up like oh that's why okay uh, it's it's great I yeah I I think it should have yeah I, again I think if it came out today I think it would be up for best picture yeah probably I got to see it I know I know you you praised it big time you gave it a ten and uh, yeah yeah it's it's very very powerful and. I do. I think you'd like it a lot. Um, it's a ten. It's a ten for me for for reasons that it's you know straight up like my kind. It's my kind of movie. The way it moves, the tempo of it. Um, but yeah, I, I think you'd really dig it, man. Right on. I'll keep that in mind. In the bedroom, uh, grossed about forty-five mil on, or forty-three mil on a budget of almost two million. So it was a good. It was a good hit. It was a big hit. For any yeah. like this, that's great money. Uh, it has an IMDb score of 7.4 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 93%. It was directed by Todd Field, who also directed the film Little Children in 2006, which I've heard is uh, odd, an oddball. Yeah, I want to check it out, though. Me too. The film stars Tom Wilkinson, one of my favorite British actors. That guy can do fucking anything. I don't think he gets nearly enough credit. Uh, I love him as Carmine Falcone in Batman. Begins. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that scene, the scene when the scene, uh, you think they can come down here? <laughs> He's so good when he just, he makes Christian Bale small for a yeah. moment. And it's, it's pretty amazing. No gun. I'm insulted. You can cut. You think you can come down here? <laughs> uh, he does that. He does that Gotham voice. Like what the hell? <laughs> That's power. You can't buy. That's the power of fear. Like perfect, perfect Gotham mobster. My God. Yes. Yeah. He he's one of my favorite like of the of like the modern comic book era uh, since since Christopher Nolan's movies came out. He I always think about him. Just that voice is so powerful. All the other villains of that franchise were so great that people don't really talk about Wilkinson's performance as Falcone, but I yeah, it's a personal favorite of mine too. We do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> Uh, and we have Sissy Spacek, Oscar winner uh, for Coal Miner's Daughter, where she played a uh, country singer, Loretta Lynn, uh, known mostly for playing Carrie in 1976. Uh, and she's just been, you know, an Oscar darling for years. She was up for Missing, The River, Crimes of the Heart. And she's just an, an amazing actress and continues to just impress me every time I see her in anything. Yeah, yeah, Sissy is, it's cool that we, just last week, we talked about Rocky, which came out in 76, that's when Carrie came out, and we talked a little, we both mentioned how Carrie's one of our favorite movies from 1976, Yeah, and, and because of that, and how good that performance is, Sissy's basic has been a pillar of, of our movie lives for a long time. Yeah. And, and that's, and she's, and, and you know, she's a female. And that's really important. It was important for me to have anyway, as a horror fan, 
this kind of iconic female character that I could like, man, Sissy Spacek is fucking awesome. You know, <laughs> whether I had seen all of the like, you know, real Oscar, you know, stuff that's got Oscars written all over it that she's done later in her career. That was big for us. Right. You know, anyone who listens to this, you know, is listening to us. We have the film guys and podcast where we dive deep into horror movies every week. And, you know, Carrie was one of our, one of our first episodes, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sissy Spacek is very important. But with all that being said, what she's capable of, what she's capable of doing at this age in 2001 uh, with her, her, like with her hair and her face is, it just shows the growth. It shows the growth of just this all time hall of fame actress who quite frankly, doesn't get talked about enough amongst the mainstream. Uh, and I, I'm glad we're going to talk about her a lot today. Yeah, I agree. Sissy Spacek is an unsung hero of the 70s and 80s and one of my favorite actresses of all time. Yeah, she's incredible. Fantastic. Uh, we have Marissa Tomei. And uh, she won her Oscar in a famous upset in 92 for My Cousin Vinny. It's also up for The Wrestler. Uh, she is currently playing Aunt May in the MCU. And uh, she's really good in this. Just a really sad character. And uh, I think she does a great job. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily Oscar worthy, but I do think she does a great job. You, you, uh, you forgot her best performance of all time in Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> Marissa Tomei! <laughs> it's Ma! Uh, George, I love when uh, George calls her after Susan dies and is like, yeah, my fiance died. So if you still want to go out, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fucking Marissa Tomei. Yeah, I forgot can't, all about that. <laughs> can't stand you, Costanza. Yeah, but no, in all, in all seriousness, Marissa Tomei, uh, we talked, we, we, we obviously mentioned her earlier because she was nominated. Yes. And uh, at this point now, we're going to be spoiling the movie. Um, so if you haven't seen it, go check it out and come back. Uh, Marissa Tomei, what she does in this, you mentioned how she's in it a lot at the beginning, you know, and we're like, oh man, you know, she's on like the, the poster and all that. And then um, as, you know, the main event happens, you know, about 30, 40 minutes in uh, of Nick Stahl's character, Frank, uh, being, being shot, Marissa yep. Tomei, Marissa Tomei is not in it as much. And she becomes, she come, becomes like a less is more kind of character. Yeah. When she comes in, she comes in hot and she serves as a, she almost serves as like a, a fucking server to Sissy Spacek for that moment where, where Marissa Tomei, yeah, yeah, yeah. And T Tomei is able to just be there, which is, which is huge. That is acting, you know, that is acting. Yeah. And while, while Tomei has a lot more like powerful things to say at the beginning uh, or, or more dialogue, uh, as the movie goes along, we're more focused on the parents. Um, uh, that would be Wilkinson and Spacek. Uh, it, she, she does still have this presence that's just, I didn't know she had. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was a surprise. And she's so good that I wanted more of her. I wanted to see more of how yeah, Frank's yeah. death affected her and her relationship with her kids and how with the whole publicity of Richard's, you know, Richard killing him, it, it, it clearly affected the town. And I would have loved to have seen at least partially, how this impacted her life. Because clearly it did. Clearly it fucked her up. And it fucked everybody up. It fucked everybody up. But I just, I, I, I like that he put the focus on the parents. I think that was smart. 
but just a little bit on Tomei and how that, you know, turned her life upside down. I would have liked a bit of that, just a tad, a drop. Uh, then we have Nick Stahl, who does a surprisingly good job, is not in the film that long for obvious reasons, a uh, bit of a shock. He's uh, more well-known for playing John Connor in Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, as well as playing Rourke Jr. in Sin City. Those are his, his big ones. And then after that, he kind of just dropped off the map because of uh, drug problems. And he never really regained the footing he had in the early 2000s. Yeah. But he's really good in this. I, I buy he his is. performance as just a, you know, a kid who's uncertain of his future and is just kind of playing the, playing the field. Yeah, man. I, I, I watched today um, my own private by Idaho, Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nick Stahl, River Phoenix, there's these guys who are like, when they're really young, they have this, just, uh, it's just something. There's just something there. And I think, I think Leo had a big time when he was young where it's like, holy hell. Obviously, he was very good looking, but he also had this like, man, this guy can kind of do anything already. And Nick Stahl kind of had that early on. And yeah. when, you look at it, when you look at it, you're like, oh, this guy should have just shot up and done all kinds of stuff. He was also in the HBO show Carnivalic. So he's working with HBO and doing these, these, these like pretty good movies, like – Man, I feel really bad. I think he could have done something really special as he got into like his thirties. Um, Cause man, he's awesome and in the bedroom. The the moments he does have uh, when he's talking like on the docks with his dad and just kind of telling him off about like what he wants to get out of life. Ah, oh, man, it's just powerful stuff. Yes, yes, it is. He this film obviously you know doesn't work without him. It's a pivotal role, and Nick Stahl gave it his gave it his all and because of, you know, his success in this film, and he was able to get, you know, the high-profile pri- high role of John Connor and later Sin City, and then he just was his own worst enemy. Yeah, and it happened. It happens, man, you know? It happens you too this, much. Yeah, you have a very promising start, and then, you know, and then nothing. Yep. And he's got a lot in production, but nothing substantial. He's been doing paycheck gigs for, like, 10 years now. Yeah. Damn shame. And then finally, I want to talk about William Mapother, who plays Richard. This dude is such a great psycho when he's like, when it's, you know, when it calls for it. I'm uh, Ethan. Ethan. Ethan Rom from Lost. Wasn't on the plane. I have chills. I have I know. chills. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously, we have both watched Lost. Yes, many times. Ethan is one of like the five to 10 most frightening characters from the show. There's a lot of them. <laughs> That's why I say five to 10, because I don't really know. I mean, you're, you're talking about Ben Linus, you know? Um, yeah. Ethan though, is your oof. first glimpse into that world of the Island. He's the first yeah. other we meet. The first guy we realized was not on the plane. He's native. Who are these people? Ethan yeah. is your first, like, you know, he's your uh, first impression of these people and it is not a good one <laughs> it's no, like, the, that yeah. whole arc was so damn scary yeah dude lost is uh take take what you know take it or leave it man but lost has its moments and i know there's a lot of episodes it's like 120 or something but yeah. good lord there's just some awesome stuff in there 
It'll always be a favorite of mine for sure. Yeah, same. And I've rewatched it like four times or something stupid like that. (laughs) I don't know. Um, And I I normally wouldn't go for, you know, like an ABC show like that. Um, Obviously, Twin Peaks is one of my favorite shows, but that's very different. Uh, And Lost is very different. It just has so many, so many good characters where where you're interested all the time. Even if the writing's not that good uh, in moments, these these actors are awesome. These characters have enough depth and there's enough of them to to be entertained. Yeah, for sure. And this guy, he really does a great job as Richard. You really buy that he's just, you know, he's an ex-husband. He was clearly abusive. He doesn't care about anything unless it benefits him, unless he wants it. Like he doesn't care about how Natalie, you know, wants to raise her kids. Like all he cares about is that she left him and she belongs to him. It's that kind of crazy abusive shit. And yeah, I I don't think they could have gotten anyone better. He does a great job. It's weird because, you know, he's not as well known as the rest of these people, but he really does hold his own. And I was impressed. Yeah, man, I, I agree. And it's, isn't it really fun to think about when, you know, Lost came out in 2004 and, you know, I, did you start watching that when it was on like live or? No, I watched it like long after it ended for the, uh, for the first time. It was like right after the season six DVD came out. Okay. I, I yeah. Was, I, like, I, I was watching it in season two, like live. I started watching it with my family. It was kind of the thing we, this thing we did every Sunday. And then I think it moved to Wednesday at some point that's run. But uh, (laughs) anyway, anyway, when, you know, I think about that stuff a lot and I'm thinking, oh man, this guy was in a movie a few years before, three years prior to Lost coming out called In the Bedroom. And now here I am talking about that, just the way these things interconnect and uh, an actor like that <laughs> who who just isn't isn't in a bunch of stuff but uh i definitely recognize them as ethan always the reason i didn't watch lost initially is it's really stupid i don't i might have talked about this on filmgasm i don't know it's possible there's been a lot of episodes when it first came out my aunt told me that like she started watching it and she said like you would love this show i got it missed i i mixed it up with survivor <laughs> and I thought, I don't want to watch that shit. That sounds terrible. <laughs> so years went by, and then I found out what Lost really was, and I'm like, that sounds great. I should check that out. So that's, that's why it took me so long to watch Lost. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's hilarious. I love it, though, because yeah, <laughs> Survivor, Survivor's not my thing. But there's two shows on that involve people on an island. There's going to be some miscommunication. <laughs> yes, agreed. Ah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I wish I'd been swept up. Like, I knew a lot of shit already when I went into Lost. Like, I knew about who, the, like, what the smoke monster was. I knew about uh, who was going to end up protector of the island. It kind of sucked because I knew a lot of the big ending shit. But getting there was really fun. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's, it, it is, it's a journey show. Uh, most, most shows should be looked at that way because it's a bunch of episodes that's trying to keep you entertained and give you that camaraderie with the characters. Um, so that's what you have to look at us. It's a journey. Yeah. And it was a fun journey and I would do it again. I have done it again. Yeah, me too. I've, yeah. I think I've done it three full times, which is just, that's too much. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's watching 360 episodes of TV <laughs> with the same, that's like an anime. What are we doing? 
<laughs> I watched it. There was the first time I watched it, and then I watched it with my cousin because he'd never seen it. Then I watched it with my mom because she'd never seen it. Then I yes. watched it with my other cousin because he'd never seen it. And then I watched it on my own again at work to keep myself busy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I Four? Five, I think? I don't know. That's, that's five, yeah. God damn. <laughs> There's so many new things out there I am just blatantly ignoring. <laughs> I want to be comfortable. Fuck out of here. Yeah, I want to like what I'm doing. Ugh. Well, yeah, especially if you're at work and you just want to throw something on that you don't have to be super invested in, right? Dude, over the course of my job, I have watched in, their, in its entirety Lost, Twin Peaks, Dexter, Frasier, Monk. <laughs> um, uh, I think that's all. That's, yeah, that's it. But Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> all on my phone, by the way. <laughs> yeah, not the smartest decision. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> well, uh, let's dive into the plot of In the Bedroom. Let's do this. Talk about this story. So our story takes place in the coastal town of Camden, Maine. Everyone's very Maine. They have a Maine accent. I watch a lot of Stephen King stuff, so I, I can tell the Maine accent now. <laughs> Castle Rock, baby. Uh, we meet Matt and Ruth Fowler. They're happily married. They have a good relationship with their uh, college-age son, Frank, who's come home for the summer and has uh, begun a relationship with an older woman, um, divorced with two kids, or going to be divorced. It's not finalized yet. Her name is Natalie. Frank is uh, beginning, he's going to go to grad school for architecture, but he's having second thoughts due to his relationship with Natalie. He's thinking about staying there to work as a fisherman and kind of be, you know, be near Natalie and kind of be the be a surrogate father for her kids. But Natalie's ex-husband, Richard, not happy with this arrangement. He wants back in. He is constantly trying to, you know, kind of almost force his ex-wife to let him back in the house and back in her life to the point where he's getting increasingly violent. And he hates Frank for, you know, honing in on his territory. It's very obvious that he wants, he wants to, to hurt Frank. And, uh, Matt and Ruth, they don't agree with Frank's relationship with Natalie. They think that Frank should be focusing on his studies. They think that you know, if it's not serious, he should, she should, uh, he should end it before things get out of hand. But they don't push it hard enough. And, uh, well, they, tragedy strikes later because of that. Um, Ruth voices her concerns pretty openly and alienates Frank. They've clearly had a relationship, an overbearing relationship over the years. Yeah, what a what a just kind of you know set the stage for for myself and you and the listeners who have know what we're talking about. There's a specific scene that I think is amazing with at the baseball game, and you have Natalie's uh, son playing, and Frank is there watching with his mom. And man, you're just thinking about everything that's going on. You're thinking about what are other people thinking, you know, judging them? Like, what is this weird relationship? Other people in the town, because everybody knows everybody sort of thing uh, at this baseball, this children's baseball game. It's just such a bizarre, like American everyday kind of thing that we just don't really talk about. Right. It's one of those just things that just happens. And I, I absolutely adore that scene because it felt 
it felt like somewhere I had been, you know, like an outdoor baseball field, just hanging out. And who knows, maybe that kind of conversation was happening somewhere that I've been. It's, th- it's that kind of a movie. You know what I mean? You feel like immersed into it. Yeah. If you grew up in a small town, you get it. This is how people react to things. You know, everything is news. Everybody yeah. knows everybody. So when a college age kid starts dating an older woman with kids, people are going to talk. People are going to voice their opinions. People are going to stare. And see, I'm of the mindset that once the age of consent is reached, age truly is just a number. I don't care. I, I agree. I, I don't see. Yeah. I'm definitely in the boat of, of the father where it's just like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. They're both consenting adults. They're both, you know, of age. They're both happy. Live and let live. Now, okay. Now, if I'm, if I'm a father and say I have a son or, or daughter or son and they're in a relationship of any relationship and I know that there's a not even ex-husband yet or ex-wife that who that that has violent tendencies if I knew that then yeah. I would be like you need to stay away but if I didn't have that knowledge then you know yeah it's just a number like you said I don't know if I'd be stay away I think it would, it would have to depend on the situation I mean they are intending to get divorced she is in the middle of proceedings it's tough. It's not like he's, you know, it's not like she's cheating on the guy. It's, but the guy is dangerous. It's a tough, it's a tough road. It's, it's tough. really tough to call. And, you know, I like that Matt and Ruth really don't have any, like, there's no way they can do anything here. They can voice their opinion, but at the same time, they don't really know how to handle this. And Frank just wants to be with her. That's all he cares about. <sighs> Damn shit. There's a lot of people to blame for what, ends up going down. There's yeah, a lot of man, I, throw around. Yeah, and you, you, he, has another, he has a conversation with his dad where he's saying, look, like, I see a great woman. I see someone who loves her kids, and I love her, and I love her kids. Like, that's all I see. That's what she is. And you're like, yeah, Frank, like, live your life, man. Do, you're like, live your best life. But just uh, shit right around the corner is um, an abrupt uh, obstacle. Yep. And uh, we get that vibe immediately when Richard shows up at the barbecue. And yeah, uninvited, and he just starts playing with his son. He's like, oh, I thought, it was, I thought we were meeting now. I thought we were meeting here. And she's like, no, later. He's like, oh, okay. Bye. Like, <laughs> just like checking up on her. Yeah, it's- man, you see, you see why they casted him as Ethan. Because this happened three years before. They're like, let's get that guy. Yeah, this dude became typecast as the creepiest son of a bitch in town. I mean, that's, you know, I'm glad he's getting work, but that that sucks to be known as the creepy guy. (laughs) Well, and and, and in in the bedroom, he's rocking a crazy mustache. Yeah. And like bleach, like bleached, like blonde hair. It's it's weird. He looks weird. He he does. Yeah. It's a very bizarre uh, get up. Yeah. Well, so, uh, <laughs> Richard shows up one day, uh, punches Frank in the eye. He comes home, and Ruth wants to press char- like she wants to press charges. She wants to call the cops. Matt says, "You know, don't do that. Let's not do that." And Frank tries to talk them both down. Like, "Look, I'll deal with this. Just don't call the cops. You're going to scare the kids." And they don't call the cops. And they, ugh. knowing what happens, do you think that 
it would have gone down the same way? Do you think the cops would have been able to do anything? Yeah, this is tough. This is really hard. It, I, again, this is one of those you can kind of immerse yourself. It's, it, feel, it feels very, again, hometown, you know, little town, very American little town. Yeah. And I feel like if I were, you know, an observer and I was someone who lived in this town, I would be like, man, I, I feel like this guy shouldn't. There's enough there for this guy that sh- he shouldn't be on the streets. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, maybe a restraining order uh, at the least sort of thing. Yeah. This guy, this guy, I mean, he jacked him up in the eye. So I do think as hard as this is to say, like, I do think like calling the police in this situation is probably the right thing to do and to get someone involved to just be like, all right, man, you need, you need to step back. Otherwise we are going to take you to jail if you do come back here. Yeah. Cause obviously he comes back again and this time does something that's, you know, it's, it's elimination. It's uh, permanent. One time I, um, I kind of witnessed a domestic uh, disturbance in, uh, in, in real life back when I lived in Maryland. Um, I was in a gas station uh, near my house, me and my uncle. And uh, I was about 12, 13. And this kid ran in to the, ho- to the store yelling, help, help. He hit her. Help. Like, I need help. And so me and my uncle ran after the guy. And a couple houses down, a woman was lying in, a drive- in the driveway with a broken leg. Her boyfriend had jumped in his truck and rammed her into the garage. Jesus and driven off and we hang, we hung around we gave our statements to the cops and I I think they they got the guy but I don't think he did much like he did much time it was like he had like a standing in the community kind of deal like it was a you know he was drunk so they kind of like played it down it, it was just it was shitty it was very shitty I hope she was okay uh but those kind of situations, if a man, if the guy has clout, they're going to get away with it. And yeah, 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 that's true. That's exactly what happens in this film. Richard's known for being a, you know, a pillar of the community. So he skirts by. And I think that even if the cops had been called in this situation, he would have skirted by simply because he, they knew him. So I think in a sad way, I think what happened was inevitable. Yeah. God, uh, you know, that, that, that could be exactly what Todd Field is going for, right? Is this kind of a conversation where it's like, you are, it's how you interpret it. You know, it's this, this, this story that's just so devastating and uh, becomes about grief. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. So after Frank gets a phone call, first he's talking to a college about an interview and he gets a, Another call from Natalie's freaking out saying Frank showed up at the, actually one of her kids calls him Jason and says that Richard showed up and trashed the house. Yeah. So Frank rushes over there, finds Natalie just in distress. And then he comes back still raging. And she again tells him, don't call the cops. (sighs) And even with Richard outside the house, banging on the door, she takes the kids upstairs and hides and Frank yells at Richard, you know, leave now or I'm going to call the cops. And Richard just smiles creepily at him like a fucking psychopath 
says, okay, and then runs around to the back door and gets yeah. in the house. And that's when we go back to Marissa Tomei, who's upstairs. Natalie starts coming down the stairs. You hear Frank yell, put that away. And then you hear a gunshot. And camera pans down to see Frank dead on the ground, bullet in his eye, Richard sitting calmly at the kitchen table. And now we're in a different movie. Yeah, 100%. Half an hour in, and Frank is dead. <laughs> and it, I w- it came out of fucking nowhere. I mean, obviously, you know, if you watch it a second time, you can see the signs. But initially, this is a huge fucking shock. Yeah, man. Yeah, and I love how there's there's these these little moments where you're building up to think that this is this could possibly be like a coming of age story about about Frank and there's even a moment where they talk about the title of the movie yeah. in the boat in the boat when they're talking about lobsters because that's what they're they're both passionate about going out and going out to sea yeah um and that's that's really cool it's a very main thing you know <laughs> I love that. if you're not catching lobster you're not living what are you doing yeah so it's it's <laughs> it's really cool and those moments leading up to that just boom, like punch right in the face. And I love, I love the power of what you don't see, right? Even this is huge. This is massive. As we get later into the movie, even, even we are not an eyewitness to the, the killing of Frank. Obviously we know who did it. We know Richard did it. He's sitting there with a the gun. He's the one who walked in. But even like us, and this is how flawed like our you know system is. <laughs> she hears the gunshot with her children upstairs, and then you know, and then sees what happened. Obviously, but she's not an eyewitness, and neither are we as the audience. You're like in this place with Natalie, and it's it's pretty fucking frightening. Yeah, especially since we've been following mostly Frank as our main character this whole time. Yeah, you're, you're thinking this is going to be about, like, their relationship and how far it's going to go or, you know, that kind of thing. It's going to be a coming-of-age story. But no, 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 no. And we pan over from that to uh, Matt at his practice getting the call that his son is dead. Oof. And he goes to the school to talk to Ruth, who's a choir director at the school, and he just stands outside the auditorium trying to figure out how he's going to tell her this what a shot and we never see him tell her which i think is even more powerful the power of what we don't see man this movie like it knows he todd field knows what the fuck he's doing yes (laughs) it's it's crazy (sighs) and that yeah that's just devastating and then from there we go to the funeral and then after that we flash forward a a bit to the group like I'd say a couple months. Yeah. And uh, Matt and Ruth's marriage is crumbling because of this. They're both grieving and they're both blaming the other in some sort of, in some way. And they're not communicating and they are just, it's just eating them from the inside. The grief is killing them both. And Richard is uh, the bail hearing is, is coming soon. Neither, neither of them have spoken to Natalie since this has happened. Uh, Matt is putting on a brave face going to work and Ruth is just staying away from everything she's, rec- she's being reclusive she's being quiet 
she's bottling up everything with the occasional snipe at Matt. Yeah. It's not that it's, it's you, you can't, you, you can't hate her though because of what she's going through. You just, you can't. There's times no. where you want to, but the way the film's constructed is you need to be on their side. The bail hearing happens and Richard gets out because his family is well-to-do in town. They pay the bail and due to overcrowding and his status in the community, they just let him out until trial, which could happen in a year, year and a half. Who the fuck knows? And Matt and Ruth are devastated. They're talking to their lawyer who is just completely unhelpful and just, you know, spouts the company line. And now they have to see him around town. He's free. He's just walking around. He's a small town. They're going to see him. And Ruth keeps running into him. Um, They end up going on a weekend retreat with uh, their friends, Willis and Katie Grinnell. And uh, Katie's showing Ruth pictures of her grandkids and suddenly realizes like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm so sorry. Because Ruth's never going to have grandkids. Yeah, that was their own. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Jesus. And she's sobbing and Ruth isn't like is unfaced. Like she is bottled up so much that she's not even reacting to this. Man. To be like to lose your child and then to have the person you're talking to cry far more than you are is so bizarre to me like to to bottle that up like that is just gotta fucking hurt yeah man and uh the next uh next saturday matt tells ruth he's going to the office but instead goes to the convenience store where natalie works to talk to her and they both are just kind of, it's super awkward because they both have no idea what to say to each other. And the reason, the big reason Richard went free is because Natalie fucked up her testimony. She had said that she'd witnessed the gunshot, but then now she's saying she heard the gunshot. So Richard's lawyer has thrown out that testimony due to her like quote unquote lying the first time. And uh, his lawyers played by Karen Allen, by the way, did not expect that. Yeah. Random. She's not in a lot, but when she pops up, it always makes me smile. Yes. And uh, so at the convenience store, Natalie apologizes to Matt. and He apologizes for not calling her. And he starts getting emotional, so he leaves. And he goes fishing and uh, cuts his finger on the lobster trap. Ah. Full circle. Uh, you You gotta love that stuff, that kind of on the nose, like, he, the last time we saw him doing that, he was with his son. Yep. And around this time, he sees Jason, Natalie's son, just w- drive, like riding his bike past him. Because he uh, used to go down there to see Frank all the time. Oh, crazy. And they used to, at the beginning, like, Jason passes by Matt and says, you know, hi, Dr. Fowler, how you doing? And he's like, hi, Jason. They're so cordial. And now it's just a cold stare for a few seconds. Oh, man, this movie. <laughs> Everyone is so broken by this event. Oh, it's so sad. So 
Tension rises between Matt and Ruth when their lawyer informs them that since there's no witness now, Frank's shooting, uh, there's no witness, Richard's probably going to be charged with manslaughter at best. Is probably going to serve five years, you know, minimum. And they're just like, what can we do? And he's like, well, nothing. Ruth is distraught. Matt is kind of just, eh, shit happens. He's, he's cried enough almost. Like he's, his grief is now like outweighed by his just anger at this. And uh, he and Willis spend the evening drinking and talking about the injustice of this situation and how if there was real justice, you know, this would be taken care of. But, you know, like you said, he mentions, you know, even, even assholes like him have friends. Yeah, what a great line. Yeah. Because Matt's trying to find Richard. <laughs> when do you think Matt made the decision to, do, to take care of this himself? Right away. Right away. <laughs> right away. I, th- I think deep down, right away, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking that son of a bitch down. Yeah. Probably right. So she, uh, Natalie <laughs> approaches Ruth at work at the choir and tries to apologize. And Ruth just slaps her before putting her headphones back on and going back to her papers. Dismissively, just like, fuck you, you're not even important enough to talk to. Like, you killed my son, is what that slap means. And she leaves in tears, and we never see her again. Yeah, that's it. We don't see Natalie it. again. It's, ah, there's so much more they could have done with her. Yeah, it, it's almost like, again, it feels like, as we're talking about this movie, there's times where Todd Field is putting the audience in someone's, you know, in someone's shoes and not letting you decide. And it, it feels as though there's a moment where we're in Natalie's shoes. And then there's a moment where we don't have a choice and even seeing what her path is. And uh, now we're with, with Ruth. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And Ruth later that day is buying cigarettes and she runs into Richard. They connect Ugh. eyes for a second. And he is like, Oh, and quickly leaves the store. And she is just like, uh, and comes home and has an explosive argument with Matt. They finally just let everything out at each other. And it's, it's the scene that I think got them both nominated. I agree. I agree. I, I don't think there's really an argument there. I think both of them are, you know, thro- throwing the jabs at each other. And then I, I think mainly what these two are so good at in this, in that scene, is 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 just handling what the other person's saying. Is something that I love is facial expressions. Is when people just kind of take take that acting from Sissy Spacek and the way Tom's face is just reacting to like, he's like, you fucking kidding me? You're really gonna talk to me like that? Like the the one fucking guy who understands what's going on here. You're gonna talk to me that way? And she's like, that's right, bitch. <laughs> and it's awesome. It's amazing. It's incredible, incredible acting from both of them. And I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think there really is another scene you can look at as better than that one. Well, the, way, the things they say to one another, like she says that she blames Matt for not like pursuing the break, like for not 
pressuring Frank to break up with her because Matt wanted to fuck Natalie. Yeah, and he's like, what? Are you out of your ever-loving mind? <laughs> you crazy. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. And she's like, yeah, you wanted her. Like, come on, you're living out your fantasy through your son. And you're like, oh, no. He died for your fantasy piece of ass. Like that. Oh, Jesus. what a line. What a line. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, you, you've done nothing but pressure him since he was a child. You pulled him out of a Little League game because he, he threw his glove in the dirt. He was nine years old. You overbearing a, bitch. You're the reason he's dead. Take a goddamn look at yourself. Yeah. Oh. And she's just like, oh, <laughs> devastated. And then yeah. the doorbell rings, and it's a little girl selling chocolate. Yeah, and of course, Tom, Tom is just pulls out, pulls out whatever is in his bag of acting skills, and he's like, I'm going to be cordial with this girl. Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> it's so casual. He's just like, so I can get any six? Yeah, $10? Yeah, I'll do that. Here, done. <laughs> and he walks in with a handful of candy. And that he like he allows that to be the thing that calms him down. Yeah, he's got. I'm gonna let that outside like little distraction. Just all right. The world is still moving. Like there's still lives being had. Let's let's talk. Kit Kats, <laughs> the great equalizer. <laughs> and, yeah. So he goes back in and is now he's apologetic. Like I I'm I should never have said those things. I was way out of line. And yeah. She's like, I'm so sorry. I don't blame you. And they finally have talked about it. They've finally yes. let it out and communicated that they are both devastated because they lost their son. That's all they needed. Just months that, of bottling this up led to this. Yeah. yeah. And that, that, that's, that's so huge for, for anything, any situation, uh, communication, uh, as we see with much bigger things happening in the world than just talking about movies. Yeah, you, know, you, you gotta communicate. You need to have conversations with people. Yeah. To to understand them. Like it's that simple. And I, I love when a movie hones in on that aspect of life. Hones in on it. Exactly. It's perfect. And now they're finally able to grieve together. Now they're finally able to share in the memory of their son. And not just yeah. hate each other secretly. Ugh. So now the air is cleared and they're finally able to find common ground. Matt, uh, I mean, uh, Ruth tells Matt that she keeps seeing Richard everywhere. And now Matt decides to take matters into his own hands. And Jesus. So Matt abducts Richard at gunpoint outside of his bar. Oh, man. And it's pretty damn calculated. He's, he says he's you know, he tells Richard, get in the car, drive slowly, don't get pulled over. Says he's going to arrange for Richard to jump bail and leave the state so that he and his wife don't have to see him in Camden anymore because it's, it's killing them. He, <laughs> he takes Richard to his apartment, tells him to pack for warm weather. Richard's trying to negotiate here. Say, like, you know, he was sleeping with my wife. Like, it was an accident. And Frank's like, or Matt's like, don't talk. Don't say a word. I don't want to hear from you. Like, there's nothing Richard could say that's going to get him out of this. He murdered this man's son. <laughs> but the yeah, fact incre that incredible. He can get out, that he can talk his way out of this speaks volumes about his character. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And uh, um, we don't have a lot of him, but we, we know who Richard is. Yeah, from the beginning. 
we know this is a sleazy, controlling, manipulative son of a bitch. Who's gotten his way his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's going to bite him in the ass. Yeah. Now someone's finally going to snatch that, that from him. Yeah. Yep. I mean, even after, you know, when he gets out of the bar, he's like, you know, trying to ask this girl out who says no many times. And, but he keeps pressing and she drives away and he's like, fucking bitch. Like he's a fucking maniac. Matt probably saved a lot of lives. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I agree. Yeah. He puts a train schedule and Amtrak in his, I love the second I knew, like first you think maybe Matt, his conscience is going to overbear him, you know, and he's going to get, he's going to let Richard go. But the second he puts the Amtrak schedule and then starts talking about the plane that Richard's going to take, then I'm like, Oh, he's going to shoot him in the woods. <laughs> yeah. 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 That that's, was, that's, that, that's, uh, that's like, um, yeah, you just put two and two together, right? <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant. That was great. <laughs> uh, I love it. He forces Richard to drive them out to his friend Willis's cabin that they were at. Willis is waiting with another vehicle. He starts to load Richard's belongings. Matt starts leading Richard over to the other car and then just plugs him three times. <laughs> just shoots Richard three times in the chest and on the ground, shoots him again. <laughs> and Willis is like, we had a plan. At first, I'm thinking like Willis was really like they were really going to drive him, you know, get him out of there. But then Willis like we were supposed to put him in the woods. Like that is a that is a fucking friend right there. Oh, Willis, yeah, Willis is the MVP of Camden, yeah. who will help you murder your child's killer. Yeah, BFF right there. Yeah, we. I think we both just need him in our life, you know, just in case. Everybody needs a Willis. Yeah, ex- exactly. Every, everyone needs a Willis. And Matt's just response is like, I couldn't wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. He's like, fuck, finally. I hate that guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised he made it the whole drive. Me too. Me too. The two bury Richard's body deep in the woods, but they get stuck at a bridge crossing on their way back and lose an hour. So they arrive back in town just after sunrise. Matt apologizes. Returns home, wraps his clothes in an old blanket, washes, his, washes himself in the sink, tried to erase any trace of Richard. He returns to the bedroom to find Ruth awake, smoking in bed, and she just asks him, did you do it? And he didn't say a word. He crawls in bed. But, you know, obviously she was in on it. <laughs> and Matt appears, you know, kind of troubled. And Ruth gets up to make coffee. He rolls onto his back, takes the Band-Aid off. And she calls from the kitchen, do you want coffee? And he doesn't answer. So we get the idea that Matt is pretty much broken. Like, of everything that's happened to him, the death of his son, killing his killer, there's nothing left. <laughs> there's nothing left of Matt. Yeah, he's, he's totally physically and mentally especially mentally spent uh and this guy's a doctor um you think about all these things that happen and you know he's up at four in the morning getting home from a a killing and and she's just like you want coffee it's oh man and they dumped Richard's car in like a parking lot right yes yes but here's the thing i the vibe i got from the band-aid is that 
it's possible Matt left some blood in that car. Yeah. So Very possible. probably going to get him. Yeah. So no happy ending for anybody. This is, this is a rough movie. <laughs> it is very rough, very bleak. Pretty emotionally draining. Good God. So <laughs> that's in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you, uh, you know, decided to stick with us, if you haven't seen it, um, you know, it is, it is a very, very powerful movie. I, I know you gave it an eight on your review. I'd give it a nine. Uh, I feel very similar to you doing your review. It's just, it, it's really held up by these monstrous performance performances and this tone. Once, once Frank dies, this tone that is oof, about grief uh, and revenge. It's, it's crazy. Yes, indeed. Boy. <laughs> yeah. We did an uplifting film last week with Rocky this week. We're going a little down South. Well, we had no, we had no idea. You know, we, yeah, I, I I personally thought it was gonna be something like, um, not not as extreme as like Fatal Attraction, but something of that nature, right? Yeah, I was uh, expecting a sexual thriller. Y- yes, which I thought would be very interesting to talk about on the podcast because we haven't really touched anything like that. Yeah, and and I thought that'd be really interesting. And I and, and again, the main thing is we hadn't seen it. But what we got, I'm so grateful for. Yeah, it's uh, it's something I'll definitely keep talking about. On both of these podcasts, it's very interesting to go in blind, and yeah, we get you know gems like this. Sometimes they suck. Sometimes they're incredible. And this is one that's I thought was pretty incredible. It's a yeah, yeah. It's an emotionally draining one, so be prepared. Don't watch this if you're sad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, fantastic movie. Uh, looking back, do you think that the Oscars? would look differently if they did this today. I, yeah, I, I do. I really do think that well, the Lord of the Rings trilogy would have swept the big, big uh, best picture. Yeah. Uh, if, if we could like redo them. Clearly those are the films that have the biggest legacy from. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think I, I'll stand by that in the bedroom is second to all uh, in that, in that group of five. Yeah. Right on. Well, uh, I guess that brings us right into this week in film. And it's been a pretty big week. A lot has happened. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So first up, Hugh Jackman is in talks to star in a biopic of car maker Enzo Ferrari called Ferrari. Interesting. I love Hugh Jackman, and I wonder if it'll cover any of, you know, Le Mans. Yeah, that'd be really cool, right? Since we uh, just last year, yeah, I got to got to got to kind of experience something of that nature. So that'd be cool. We got a new trailer for the film The King's Man, the upcoming prequel to the King to the Kingsman franchise, starring Ray Fiennes, Aaron Taylor Johnson, and a lot of other people. Looks like Rasputin's going to be involved. This could be very cool. Matthew it could Bond, be yes. Direct tells the origin of the super secret spy organization. Hopefully we will one day get to see this movie. <laughs> this was delayed before COVID even happened. So who knows? Um, they announced that a Chicken Run sequel is in development. It's coming to Netflix. I love Chicken Run. Have you ever seen that one? Oh, yeah. Chicken Run's great. We talked about DreamWorks with Shrek. Hey, 
chicken runs right there, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mel Gibson will not be returning to voice Rocky the Rooster. Not a surprise there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And another weird nostalgic childhood thing, Elizabeth Banks is going to play Miss Frizzle in a live-action Magic School Bus movie. I saw that on IMDb. What on earth? She's going to be perfect. Magic School Bus, the movie. I'm like, what's next? Bill Nye the Science Guy, the movie? Probably. That's coming. Yeah. yeah yeah i'll take it i'll watch it Uh, (laughs) they're also working on a reboot of twister with top gun maverick director joseph kaczynski which has not yet happened so i don't know if it's i don't really plan to see that anyway i didn't i don't like top gun so i don't give a shit about the sequel yeah i yeah i'm in the same boat as you it doesn't matter to me because i don't care about the 80s original yeah and i haven't seen twister either so i don't really know what, what to think about this <laughs> twist twister's good it, it's it's all right yeah it's all right i think it'd be fun to do on the podcast for sure yeah uh, at some point and um that yeah you know i'll keep that on my radar but yeah right now it's just so hard because you never know when anything's gonna come out true speaking of tenant has again been delayed to august 12th and mulan <laughs> has been pushed to august 21st just stop stop even announcing dates. very tentative just, just 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 stop just pull it stop it just say we'll be back when we can yeah that's it that's all you can do stop saying all right all right august 12th guys everybody hold it down buy your tickets like no we're not (laughs) get the fuck out of here it's sad but it's ridiculous uh margot robbie is going to be starring in a new pirates of the caribbean film that is going to not have johnny depp they are moving (sighs) to a new franchise without him I hope it's not because of the uh, blatantly untrue spousal abuse allegations. I hope it's just because they're tired of Captain Jack Sparrow. I'll take that read. Yeah, I think that might be what it is. I I, I love Margot Robbie, and I, I really – this is great that she's doing this, but I, I really hope she finds more time in her career to do things like I, Tanya. She will. Um, yeah, I, I sincerely do. I think she is fantastic. Uh, at everything she's done, even in, you know, oh, god damn, what's the movie that came out? Uh, Birds of Prey. <laughs> even, think, even in that, she she's swell. Yeah, she's awesome. I think a lot of actors take these, you know, these big franchises so they can pay the bills, and then they one for you, one for me. Artistic integrity with the indie stuff. So I'm yeah. sure she'll do the same. Yeah, one for you, one for me. I just hope there's more for her where she can really just kind of be unhinged. Yeah, Johnny Depp was able to do it. I mean, he didn't make the best choices, but he still was doing it. It really is about choice. That's really what it comes down to. Next up, and this was a a bummer. Uh, Director Joel Schumacher has died at age 80 from cancer. Director Uh, of Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, The Lost Boys, The Phantom of the Opera, Falling Down. He's had a long and uh, colorful career. I didn't realize he was 80. Gosh, long life. Long life, and he's... He'll always be known as the guy who did Batman and Robin. <laughs> That's going to be his claim to fame forever. Yeah, isn't it crazy that we not that long ago did a whole Schumacher Batman uh, episode? That's pretty amazing. That happens to us a lot. We we prepare for these things in a weird way. We've done that a few times. Yeah, we, it happens. We did The Exorcist right before Max von Sydow died. Like, I don't know what it is. We just, I don't know, we're... we're 
we pick good shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just correlates everything without yeah the book. Yeah. For more on that, check out the Filmgasm podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's usually us two on there. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, the most epic, exciting news I have heard in years. Something I've been waiting for pretty much my entire life. Michael Keaton is returning to play Batman in an upcoming Flashpoint film. Yes. Shit, my friend. And I just found out that he is going to be wearing the bat suit. That's coming back too. I I, I, uh, wouldn't endorse it if he wasn't, right? (laughs) Michael Keaton's coming back as older, grizzled Bruce Wayne. Holy shit, man. I can't believe it. I never thought it would happen. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I think think we can – Thank his performance in Birdman, yeah, uh, for him him kind of being whoa, you know, his whole career being kind of rejuvenated, Thank and God. then uh, and yeah, what he's able to do uh, with the Vulture character in Spider Man is very very impressive, and I think that shows, hey man, this guy still got something, yeah, and he can he's gonna fucking bring it back, and he's gonna do such a good job. I love Michael Keaton. I love how political. Uh, he gets like on his his social media and how how involved he is with everything. Keaton is the man, and I'm so glad he's coming back to it. Michael Keaton's been one of my favorite actors my entire life. Me too. <laughs> as a you know as a kid, it was Beetlejuice and it was Batman, and now it's still Beetlejuice and Batman. But now we've got Birdman and the Founder Spot- Spotlight. Spotlight, yeah. The guy, the other guys, like he's just such a great fucking actor and such an awesome dude, and I cannot wait to see him play an older, experienced, beaten down Batman. In a Flashpoint oh, movie. Like, what they're going to do here, it's, it's so exciting. <laughs> I've been just freaking out about this news. Yeah. This is, this is the most exciting uh, This Week in Film news we have, for sure. Um, I, 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 think, I think a lot of, if we have crossover, I think our, a lot of our Filmgasm listeners are very excited about <laughs> this. Yes. yes, indeed. This exact, this exact thing, yeah. <laughs> And that, I think, about wraps it up for Oscar Sunday. Um, what are we doing next week? Next week, I, I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. So if you can tell, you know, we did. We started out with a 90s movie. Then we did Defy Bloods, which is obviously from 2020. And then we did a 70s film. And then we did a 2000s film today within the bedroom. Um, we're going to continue to try to tackle all of the decades uh, not obviously not not in order. They're going to be scattered completely, so we keep you guys guessing. Um, and we'll do that. You know, we'll do like that every cycle. So there are a total with the with all the decades, and we're going to do a a week of a foreign film. There's a total of eleven, right? That'd be you know ten decades, and then the the eleventh being a foreign film or a film from this year, which I think Defy Bloods is the only one to really talk about. Yep. Uh, so so far. But with that being said. Every week at the end of the show, we'll tell you what we're doing next week so you can get prepared. We'll tell you what you can watch it on. And for next week, we're going to be going all the way back to 1940. For our second Best Picture winner, we already did Rocky. Here's The Great Dictator. Ah, that actually, it didn't win. I, I, I looked, I saw that in your face. <laughs> yeah, but... It didn't? It, no, Rebecca won in 1940. Oh. Yeah, we I, we just t- talked about that earlier. <laughs> but The Great Dictator is easily the most, I think, significant film of that bunch. And it's a comedy classic. It's a great war film. It's arguably Charlie Chaplin's masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so excited to talk about it. 
Yeah, man, I, I can't wait. You know, I'm not um, as big of a Charlie Chaplin fantasy, so I'm really excited to kind of dig in and, uh, you know, talk about that movie and talk about Chaplin uh, in general. And I think this is looked at as his masterpiece, right? Yes, I would, I would say so. But then again, you know, that really depends on who you talk to because he, you know, the circus, city lights, modern times, the gold rush, the kid, there's so many films that he could be, that could be, you know, considered his masterpiece. To me personally, it's The Great Dictator. Yeah. And that'll be next week and that'll be just a great time. So thank you for listening. Uh, stick with us. We're, you know, developing this show as we go along, doing what we can to provide quality entertainment during these trying times. Check out the Filmgasm podcast for your horror. Hell yeah. We're doing the dark half this week. And uh, keep on trucking. We'll, we'll see you next, next Sunday. Yeah, stay positive out there, y'all.